Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of the world's greatest podcast. That's the way the cookie crumbles. Whoa, 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 whoa. Welcome to another episode. For once, Stan is here from the start. Um, yeah. I've not, not been asked to take the bins out, out this week. No, because you did such a shit job last week. Didn't you, I know, Stan? I know. Prawns. Prawns everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Cats loved your yeah, garden. Everywhere. <laughs> Again. <laughs> But to start us off, we, we've got to talk about Arsenal. It's the first time they've won away at one of the big six in over five years. So, yeah, as Cook said, it is uh, the first time that Arsenal have won away at the big six since I think Jim will tell me they won away at Man City, was it, in 2015? Sounds um, about right. Um, I think, well, that's what they said on Sky anyway, so forgive me if I'm wrong. But, yeah, no, really... Spot on performance. We did, uh, if you listen to last week's pod, which I'm sure that you did, uh, we did pick up on Arteta's tactics in the big game so far this season, where they played Liverpool, uh, City and Leicester and lost all three. And I I have to say, credit where credit is due, uh, Arteta's uh, tactics were spot on, especially for the first half. Um, United just couldn't get through. They did what? They did to United what United did to Leipzig in midweek, just sat in nicely, stopped any passing lanes and United just didn't, you know, have the uh, facilities for it, big man. Let's put it that way. Uh, brilliant, brilliant performance. Absolutely spot on. Uh, Aubameyang scored, uh, which again, we also picked up on last week, the first time he the scored. Curse of the commentator, would you say? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But we'll, uh, we are eating word soup. There's a classic for, for the Cookie Pod listeners. Um, Aubameyang scored of a penalty. Very silly from Paul Pogba, uh, not, not not really knowing. if I don't know if he knew Bellerin was there or not, but it's a ridiculous challenge to make either way. Um, but no, full credit to Arsenal. First time they've actually won at Old Trafford since 2004. So that's another uh, curse lifted or another you know voodoo lifted or, or an unwanted record lifted. And it's the first time that United have lost a, a game against the big six when Maguire and McTominay have started. So there were, there were a lot of uh, records going against Arsenal. Uh, before this game and they, they stood up and again like I say last week we questioned Arsenal's resilience and uh, they stood up when, when was needed and stopped themselves getting three league defeats in a row so Jim what did you make of Arsenal's particularly the first half performance I thought stood out to me second half uh, United change I thought the two key moments were obviously the penalty and uh, and Mr D not giving Gabriel a second yellow card but you know Arsenal deserved the win 100% uh, yeah so what did you think about Arsenal's and missed Arteta's tactic yesterday. Um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't surprising to see how well they, they pressed you highly. They got that diamond, they isolated the players on the ball, and you struggled getting through there. And it seems like when Fernandez doesn't have a good game, United don't have a good game um, lately, and Arsenal really took advantage of that. But what I was surprised was by the pragmatism and how solid the defence was, especially when you look at the personnel there, like Rob Holden isn't exactly most experienced Premier League defender and even when he's played there's been questions asked um, Gabriel's new and he's been an excellent signing um, probably the player of the match um, would you agree yesterday? Yeah I'd, I mean I was just thinking then when you said that for me the two standout players for Arsenal were uh, Gabriel and Thomas Partey and they're two players that United could have you know done with in the summer so it is frustrating but yeah I know they did it is stand out. It's a little bit different of a midfield as well, Cook, especially with having El Nene and, and Party in front of that back five. It's not a it's a very pragmatic midfield, as Jim said. We used to Arsenal having maybe a few flair players and being easily bullied, but he stood up strong yesterday. What do you feel yeah. about Arteta and the way that he's changing the culture at Arsenal and how they play? It's not a not an Arsenal style of play or one that we used to under Wenger anyway. No, no, and just reiterating what Jim said, it's it is with United, it's like when Fernandez doesn't play well, United don't play well. It seemed like a team, Arsenal had a plan and they had tactics and they almost had soldiers. that Everyone knew what they needed to do. Party and El Nene, like you said, brilliant in the game. Uh, El Nene scoffed at a lot by Arsenal fans and rival fans prior to this season, but he's come in and he was busting a bollock around the 90th minute yesterday still, which shows potentially our culture shift at Arsenal at the moment. But, yeah, they look good. Partey looks like a really good player. Uh, he could have definitely gone to a better team than Arsenal. I just think it was just they were there at this moment in time and he couldn't be asked for Simeone anymore blatantly. Yeah. But but Oli, <clears throat> I don't know. It's just one of them. He's, he, 
I think Stan will agree with me. He has a system in mind, and he is quite tactically flexible. He's played 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1. He's played this diamond that obviously works so well in the week. But for me, I'd, I'd say fair play to Arsenal for winning, but Solskjaer is very reactive in what he does. Like He's almost like, this diamond works against Leipzig. We won 5-0. Obviously, you play Arsenal this weekend, and United just didn't look like a side that... They just didn't look like no. they had a clue. Well, we'll get on to United later, won't we? Yeah. But, um, we'll, 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 we'll sorry, that, go on. Yeah. yeah, we've got that schedule to talk about. Um, Solskjaer in this game and the inconsistencies of United. But all the fans knows will remember how solid Arsenal used to be at the back. And he was one of the best defensive teams um, in the league when Tony Adams was there. And it's, it's such a surprise to see that Arsenal topped the defensive stats this season. Um, I didn't. I know Arteta played a bit conservatively, a bit more conservatively than what I thought he did. But... I mean, that, I was surprised when I seen that. Yeah, I mean, that's where the, the old, you know, the classic champ 1-0 to the Arsenal came from when, you know, George Graham was there and, and leading into a, leading into Arsene Wenger, who we've already mentioned. But, yeah, for me, the two reasons for that, and like I say, the two standout players for Arsenal, particularly yesterday, were Partey and Gabriel. And for a combined, um, you know, fee for £68 million, they're two really smart signings and two not very Arsenal-like signings. Usually see them... You know, buying maybe more flurry players in the market and stuff like that, and they went straight in and, and you know noticed those two positions that they needed uh, a bit more quality, and they went out and got it. So yeah, uh, credit to uh, Arteta and you know the coaching and the scouting staff. But I thought Arsenal were brilliant yesterday. Uh, definitely worth the win, uh, if not for the first half alone. I thought the second half equal out a bit, but that was always going to happen with there not being you know too much between the teams anyway. Um, and yeah, United kind of hurt themselves in the end, and Arsenal completely took advantage. So you know, credit where yeah. credit is due. And Gabriel, another example of um, a great import from the French league, which is another league, yeah. a league that gets scoffed at itself. And <clears throat> another player um, linking nicely into the Chelsea Burnley game that is a good import. What it seems from the French league is Edouard Mendy um, keeping another clean sheet in the league. Yeah, he didn't face a shot from Burnley. We'll go into that, but he's he called what the first. Um, Chelsea keeper since Petrček to keep what is it three um, clean sheets in the bounce. Yeah, so, the only <clears throat> the only keeper with Czech to keep four in his first five games. Obviously, he was handpicked by Czech from his old club Ren, and he looks really, really good. Edouard Mendy just claiming everything. It, it's literally a complete contrast to Kepa. Obviously, shitting yourself every time a shot gets a shot gets shot, you could say, by another team. But Mendy is looking the bollocks at the moment and he's solidified it at the back. Also helps when you've got Thiago Silva in front of there. And another side in that divides opinion, but I said it last week and I remain, he is going to be a linchpin this season. Whether he only stays for this season or not, having Mendy behind him is, yeah, it works a lot better for us. We look so much more solid. Yeah, I think, I think it helps um, the defence too. There's obviously questions when we've asked them of Chelsea's defence. But when you've got a keeper there who's making saves and he's not going to just fuck up every single game, they, they trust him a bit more to let him shoot almost from like distance like they should do and they train to. But they didn't have to let Burnley shoot because they never had a shot on target. Um, so an easy game for Mendy. Um, Burnley's hit bottom of the league and one point in six games so far. Stan, I mean, we've always asked every season whether Burnley are relegation candidates and they prove us wrong every season, but this season, does it look a bit different? Yeah, it does, yeah, from the first six games, like you say, only getting a point. Um, but it seemed inevitable at some point for this to happen to Burnley. Like you say, we've said it every single year that it could be the season that, you know, they go down because we know that they don't recruit... Well, no, they recruit well, but they don't put any money into it, really. Dice has been working on a shoestring. I mean, that season he got Burnley into the Europa League, I still think is one of, you know, the best seasons from a manager, you know, in the, in the, in the modern Premier League era to get that side into the uh, European places uh, was a great achievement. And, and they could have gone on from there, really. You know, the money that they received from that, I'm sure could have, could have got them a few players, but they probably picked up the odd three, maybe a couple, you know, uh, British Isles lads for two million from a championship club. The typical Burnley signings, but eventually that will uh, it will catch up with you uh, if you if you if you're not recruiting well and you 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 know you're losing players. Man, we saw it with Southampton when they were losing players and they were never really recruiting, and they you know nearly 
dropped into a relegation dogfight that wasn't for Hassan Hootle sorting it out. And I don't think that Dyche has enough, you know, at his hands in this Burnley side to, you know, pull him out of the shit in the end. Well, well Burnley didn't do any business pretty much this summer. They just replaced Jeff Hendrick with Dale Stevens, which is, I could be downplaying. When did they get him? Oh, sorry? Josh Brownhill, the lad from Bristol. No, was he, he, was, he was, I think he was there last season. He was a young lad, wasn't he? Don't know. He's rel- he's definitely new. I, I I don't know if they signed him in January yeah, or whatever. Maybe new in the squad. New in the squad. But I know he's not spending any money. It's your typical Burnley signing anyway, isn't it? It's a typical. Even if they did sign him this summer, it's not gonna. It's well, not, he's not, not very good. good. He's not very good. He's one of them. He's he's not a Premier League player. Josh well, Brown is not a Premier that's League. That's what player. I mean, and that's that's what Dyche has, has been forced to use. And I think you know the achievements he's made. I think he's one of the longest serving managers currently in the league. Um, if he does leave Burnley, if Burnley get relegated, there'll be you know there'll be a lot of suitors for him in the Premier League next season, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah there will be. Go on. I was no, no, say, was yeah, go on. I was just gonna say excellent manager and um he's probably been treated out not I don't know what the words are, but he's obviously had issues with the owners and they just not back to him at all, whether that's because they've not got the money or they just don't think Daesh can get him any further than he has done. But mm. he if Burnley were to go down, he deserves a better job, I would say. And Burnley were linked to get a two hundred million pound takeover. Cook, um, do you think the start of this season hinders them chances? And even if they do get taken over in January, what sort of player is going to come to Burnley to try and keep them up? Yeah, it's a weird one, especially with obviously the COVID season being a big factor as well. It's probably not the best time to buy a football club in general, just because everything's so up in the air. So it's a weird one from an initial standpoint, but. Yes, yeah, huge investment. If they get that, then there's not, like you said, there's not a lot they can really do. But who'd you buy in January when it's a hard time to buy players anyway? And no one's really available and no one's really going to want to join a Burnley project where they're sat near the bottom of the league. And like Stan said, on a shoestring budget. But in the game against us, they they didn't even show any of that fight, hard work and determination that you associate with Burnley where you think it's not going to be an easy ride. Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes just being shit houses basically. And from the get go, but there was none of that yesterday. And that is worrying even if they do or don't get taken over, that's worrying to know that they, what you associate them being good at, they're not even doing anymore because when he does get them playing, they're obviously a very, very hard team to beat, especially when there's fans in the stadium because surf is a hard place to go. Yeah, they quickly turn into a team that can upset anyone to an easy three points. Speaking about teams who haven't been clinical enough, obviously Burnley didn't have a shot at Edouard Mendy versus Chelsea. But Man City, Jim, not the usual clinical city that we've been used to over the years. We've been spoilt with. Yeah, no, not the free-scoring team um, this season so far anyway. Um, nine goals in six games, which is obviously it's not something to be extremely worried about because they're still scoring 1.5 goals a game. But for a team that's averaging near 100, the miles off the pace at the minute. And yeah, they've got no Aguero. They've only had him at the start of the season and for 45 minutes against Arsenal. And Jesus has played, what, I think two games maybe. But still, the, the chances that City are creating is becoming a bit of an issue. Um, how many chances you're missing? Because Sheffield United shouldn't have been in that game on Saturday. And they were, they was in it till the very end. Uh, Lundstrom had a chance in the second half. I could have, we could have lost another two points like we did at West Ham because it wasn't clinical enough. Still having a few chances there. Um, this week it seems to be Ferran Torres played down the middle, uh, made a lot of extra runs. And I feel sorry for him because he's just come into a side and he's not playing in his, in his position. It's not up to him to score the goals. But I don't know, there seems to be an issue at City, yeah. I can't really explain it because they're missing easy chances. Um, we had to rely on a bit of something a bit special from Kyle Walker as a Sheffield lad in scoring his under appearance and he's been brilliant and I think we can rely on this defence a little bit more um, and have narrow wins than what we did last season when the defence was an issue we lost 9-10 games in the league um, Diaz and Laporte seem to be really good together um, I really like Diaz I think he's captain material in the future but like I say whether City needs to just wait till the strikers come back or somebody needs to step up and score because it seems like even De Bruyne was off the base on Saturday. He was missing easy passes and easy crosses that he usually just put on somebody's foot. I don't really know the answer to it. They just need to put the ball in the net because they're not hard chances. Um, and we're going into Liverpool next week and they're going to need to take them at Liverpool because no matter how injury 
stricken they are <laughs> it's still a hard game and they've still got players that will punish us if we don't put a few past them yeah defo i mean obviously the stats don't lie and people can say it's a bit of a a bitch stat or not but xg is obviously growing into the game now i know people don't like talking about it but i feel like we should hear man city's xg last year per game they were scoring roughly about two and a half goals a game 2.69 xg last season and this year they've it's half to 1.36 at the moment so it's just like you said it's just taking them chances obviously they're creating them but they're not putting them away thing i noticed at the weekend watching the city game was sterling just didn't shoot would get into an opportunity all i'm thinking is shoot 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 just force something because maybe someone will parry it out or whatever and he's just looking for the cutback and no one's there all the time but obviously that's that's chalk and cheese with when you're chopping and changing your striker every other week and your system and who's playing through the middle thought torres did have a good game he is looks like a tidy little player but like you said chef were definitely in that game all the way to the end i thought uh basham had a great game for them i thought sander berg had a good game for them as well and they 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 showed a bit of a reaction chef and that's good to see given that they're down there as well but mm. it's as simple as city just needs to take the chances and for your sake, Jim, I hope that the strikers are back sooner rather than later because you can't get away. We're missing these chances all this amount of time. Yeah, well, it's, it's just pretty nervy watching City. Like, it's it's so frustrating when you dominate a game and create so many chances for it to be 1-0 in the dying stages and you, you hang it on at Sheffield United, which, no disrespect to them, they had a great season last year, but we should have buried them on Saturday. We should have absolutely buried them and all it takes is one set piece into the box. We aren't the tallest side. Uh, it doesn't. You don't have to be the most skilled in the league to score off my corner here and we concede plenty of them and plenty of cheap free kicks. No, I mean, I think I think it's inevitable when your strikers are out that you are going to struggle to score goals because they are the players that score you the goals. I, I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be too worried because City, you know, will keep winning and they will keep creating chances. I think it's only a matter of time even, you know, with the forwards that they have that they will start to score goals. Uh, you know, winning 1-0 is not really a problem. Teams have won the league, you know, with clean sheets, as Cook will tell you, watching uh, Mourinho in those early days, that you can win a league by winning one and two nil and things like that. It's not a bad thing to do, really. I just don't think it's something that City fans have ever been used to and definitely not used to under Guardiola. But I'd be more worried if if you were losing games like and, and being nilled. So I think eventually, like like I say, with the quality City have with Mares, Sterling, uh, Ferran Torres looks good, and De Bruyne, Foden. Even without Gabriel and uh, and Aguero, Bernardo Silva in there as well, I think City. You know, it's a matter of time before they start scoring the chances. I just think they're stuttering at the moment, but everybody is. I don't think anybody's really having a great time. And like you say, the, the games will be nervy when it's one 0 because, like you say, any moment and you can go from three points to one. But I don't think um, I don't think Guardiola will be too worried. Yeah, it's, it's not like a massive issue at City. I just think with Aguero's knees going a bit. More often this season, they usually have needs. Obviously, the agent is in last year of his contract. The draw is still out on Jesus, whether he can be a, a first team striker for the full season. Um, maybe it's time to say, Do you look at a striker? It's been a few years since they've signed an out and out goal scorer. I think you and, have to. I yeah, really I think, think you have to because I, I don't, I'm not the biggest fan of Jesus in terms of he's going to get you 20 odd goals a season. I just don't think he'll do that. City genuinely needs to go and buy someone like Haaland if they want to get back to winning titles and being the the big dicks of the league you need someone who's going to play every game like he will he's not going to get injured have these sabbaticals like Aguero and you can obviously trust him he's a he's a fucking he's a bagsman yeah. Harlan's the guy I've said that to Jim before he's you know he's exactly what City need exactly the right time he's available for 60-70 million next summer with a buyout clause <sighs> uh, buttons that um, but we'll see yeah. City haven't fully put into like they've obviously spent a lot of money but They've not put a lot of money into like just this one player. Like even like United, even if it costs you hundred million, even if Harry Kane costs you hundred and fifty million, go and sign him. Yeah, because that it. that's the striker that isn't starting yeah. this season. And City, yes, City to, tend to spend a lot of player money on players around the 40, 60 million mark. But I think if somebody like Haaland is available for seventy, you you go and get him. I mean, he won't be short a suitor, so City will have to battle. But I think with with Alfinger Haaland, you know, his dad, obviously ex-City player, being on his team uh, and early in growing up as, you know, a City fan, uh, being born in England. Uh, if Guardiola's still there, even if he's not, I think, you know, it'll take some persuading from the other teams to stop him going there. Yeah, he's a generational talent, isn't he? And um, 
City are gonna have to they're gonna have to fight, but they've got themselves into a, a position now in European football where they can battle Barcelona and Roma for top signings and a striker that I would love to see at City, which will never happen, um, is Harry Kane. Uh, just because I think he'll cost too much and leave he's too hard to deal with. But Harry Kane last night again scored a penalty against for Brighton uh, against Brighton, sorry, um, entered the top ten all-time Premier League goal scorers, equal with Les Ferdinand at the age of 27. He's a hundred and few goals shy of Alan Shearer, but the way his game has adapted and he's dropping deeper, he doesn't have to rely on his pace and his, his power so much. Lou, do you see Harry Kane as the only realistic person in the last two decades to even have a chance of catching Shearer? Yeah, I think I think realistically he is the only person that can. Obviously, it begs the argument of if Henri started in the Prem, would he or would he not have more goals than Shearer? Who knows? But I think Kane, with five or six more consistent seasons like this, will definitely break Alan Shearer's record, 100%, because like, like we were talking about many times on the pod, he is the best striker in the world, I believe, at this moment in time. Definitely the most complete forward in the world, adding all these assists to his games and stuff now. But I don't think anyone realistically can come close to Shearer, obviously because it's such a high record, 260 goals. It's a lot. And I think he, he could still do it at Tottenham, but I would like to see him do it elsewhere in England. I could definitely go and see him play for Man United or Man City. Well, Kane's on 149 now. Um, he's had five seasons of 20-plus goals in the league. Another yeah. five put to him in, like, touching distance. He can just get, he can just chill in his face and get it. How I was going to say, how, how old is Kane? 27. So he's 27, and let's say he plays till he's 33 in England. That's six seasons at relatively this level. And that's if he's playing, because he usually gets an injury for about three months during the season. So if he can keep himself fit, then he'll he'll definitely break it, and he could even extend it. Mm. And we think two sixties a lot. Kane, think, if he maintains his fitness, could easily get two eighty. Yeah, I, I think I, it's hard to be too. I think he'll come up a little bit short, uh, just because I think we're seeing him mould his game into a different type of striker that we've seen over those seasons. Um, it strikes me a little bit of Rooney. I mean, Rooney got two hundred and eight. I think if Rooney played as a nine his whole career, he would have beaten that Shearer record quite easily I think I mean the fact that he played you know number 10 on the wing sometimes even deeper you know for Everton in his latter careers for United and he was still 40 odd 50 goals off um, I don't know I think Kane might end up dropping into a into a deeper role in the future um, yeah, yeah well, Rudy just... was never the main man at United was he though he, he, Not... he, he had a lot of um, goal scorers around him he, he did, yeah. I suppose, yes. Kane, Kane is the main man, but I just, I, I think Cook's got a point with him talking about being at Spurs. Spurs might have the odd. We saw it under Pochettino. They might have the odd good season when they finish, you know, third and whatever. But they'll also have a season like last season when they finish sixth. I know Kane keeps scoring, but whether he'll keep doing that, and I think, I know it hasn't happened yet, but I think how how long Jose stays there will have an effect on how many goals he scores as well, because it tends to with the strikers that he have. They either go one way or the other. And recently they've been going the other, so we'll see. Yeah. But I, I, I do think he'll come up short because that Shearer record has been, you know, has been there for quite a while. And there have been some players, you know, Henri, Ronaldo, I think would have stayed there. I think he would have would have got it as well. But it just seems to be one of those records that nobody seems to get close to. Yeah, it's a weird one, and it obviously because Shearer, such a high record, like we said, two hundred and sixty goals in the league as well yeah. is just completely yeah. unprecedented. Aguero's got the fourth most and he it feels like he's been here ages and always scores and he's 80 goals off Shearer's I was going to say how long's Aguero been here what's that 2011 2012 2011 he came yeah. and he's 80 goals off Shearer's record and it feels like he scores 20 a season every year So, but again though do you see the pattern with this though Aguero with an injury Kane injury uh, as well yeah, if they're another... fit you could easily add two years onto their career here where they've been out injured <laughs> And yeah, it could be a completely different story. I think that's another reason why Kane won't get there because you know he has a couple of months out, you know, every every single season for the next six years. It's effectively you know a year out in essence. So I don't think he'll get there. To be fair though, as well, the thing that is Kane's saving grace is he does take set pieces for Spurs. Obviously, he takes the penalties, and mm. he is a very selfish player as well. Obviously, Shearer was as well. Obviously, to get that many goals, but difference between them and Rooney, I think, like Jim said. 
United spread the goals out. He was never really the main man. He was more, mm. more of the the assist of the assist if he wasn't scoring, was you could say. Very unselfish. Are we, assist. are we completely yeah. writing out the fact that Kay might leave England? Or are we not? Well, no, that's what I mean. He, 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 I was obviously assuming he stays um, in England. But, I mean, Harry Kane, he'll won that record, but it's a long way off. It's, we're talking five, six seasons. And for the short term, the thing he'll be aiming at is a trophy. And yeah. can host, can he win a team? Uh, can he win a trophy in this Jose Mourinho team stand, do you think? I think they probably will, yeah, because Jose wins trophies wherever he goes. Um, you know, United, he won a couple of trophies, not the trophies that, of the calibre that United want to be winning. But if you speak to Jose, he'll say that he won trophies. Uh, and that is that is a fact. So um, I think they probably will, though they might end up winning the Europa League, maybe uh, a League Cup or, you know, an FA Cup. I don't think they'll... I don't think they'll win the league or the Champions League, so they'll probably get one of those, one of those cups. Yeah, I'd imagine. I just think that for Spurs to win anything, I just think everyone has to stay fit, and that's not going to happen. Kane always gets injured. Bale's almost guaranteed to get injured. Of late, Son's, Son's always guaranteed to get injured. So, and you look past that. Who've you got? The Brazilian Walcott, Lucas Moura. After that, for your depth. Eric Lamella, they're not going to take you to trophies. Not a chance. I, th- I think what what we'll see uh, and we'll actually learn about this first team a lot is is when the spotlight is properly on them. Say they're to- like Everton recently when they've been top of the table and they've got that really strong out for thirty five years ago and they've just crumbled since. Like Villa, they've crumbled since. I know they fall back against Saints, uh, not against Saints, yeah, against Saints. But anyway. When Spurs get to the top of the table or get near the top, it always seems like we talk about them a lot on Sky and in the media. And then the next game, you just know what's going to happen. They're just going to get upset or they're just going to drop points because they know the pressure's on them now to win. Yeah, looks that way. And Jim, sticking with teams that are top of the table, the Red Men have gone top. But I have seen opinion divided over whether their famous number nine, Bobby Firmino, should be still starting for the Redmen because if you'll ask Liverpool fans, it doesn't matter if he doesn't score goals. We're winning, we're winning, we're winning. But now you've got Jota and you've got someone who's putting it in the back of the net. Looks like a different story, Jim. It looks like they're turning on Bobby slowly but surely. Yeah, well, goals will do that to you. Um, I mean, Firmino still is going to create chances at a higher rate than Diogo is, but what a sign he's been. Three goals in five games. We kind of looked at him for 40 million for I mean, I'm not worried about that. That's what I was looking at as a City fan. I'm thinking, okay, they can have him. I'm more worried about Thiago and the rest of the signings. But yeah, they were saved by Hotter and they have been a few times this season. Um, you look at Firmino, Mane and Salah and you think that's unbreakable. That front three is the best in the world. But there's serious questions and it looks like if one was to drop out, it would be Firmino and they put Mane and Salah up front, Stan. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, McCut <laughs> alluded to it a little bit with you know Liverpool fans saying Firmino is so important, you know, to the team, and he doesn't do attacking stuff. He's more of a defensive striker, whatever that means. Um, but yeah, if Chota's scoring goals, uh, he's, he's probably going to get in the team. You know, goals win your games is the old cliche. But I, I, I do still think that Mane, Salah, Firmino is the best three. I, I don't. I can't see all three of them starting consistently anyway. But I, I think, I mean, when it happened, I thought obviously it was expensive, but I did think it was a good a good squad signing to have. Uh, and I don't think really he's much more than that. He's just in a bit of a purple patch. And I think without, obviously, slagging Liverpool off too much, I, I think that Liverpool fans don't aren't used really to having, you know, effective players off the bench and having quality depth in, you know, in such a way of, of, that Diogo's shown. Uh, coming off the bench and scoring these types of goals. You know, they've had the Shakiris and things, the workers, Milner coming off the bench. So just because, you know, he's a good squad player and he's scored a couple of goals, I don't think that necessarily means he needs to go into the eleven. Yeah, well, well the thing... had... go, on, go on, sir. No, go on. no I was just going to say, football fans are the fickleest of people, obviously. You, you can miss an open net one week, score the winner the next week, and you're absolutely immortalised. Obviously, Firmino, back-to-back years, Champions League and the Prem. And now Jota's obviously coming in scoring goals. It's just one of them. But the thing is, we talk about Liverpool's good business, and obviously they picked up Diogo Jota for forty million. They could have had Timo Werner for seven more million. So let's just put that into context. We can praise them, but Werner was theirs if they did want him for seven more million. Mm. And I know who I'd rather have. Um, yeah, well, but to be fair, I've, I've I've looked at their business for the past four seasons, and it's like 
any club fan should be envious of what they've done in the past four seasons. They've spent 124, around 124 million net in the past four seasons. They've added Salah, Allison, Van Dijk, Fabinho, Robertson. Now hotter, and I was looking at him thinking he's going to be a flop of 40 million, and he's just not. The only signing, they made 13 signings, and the only one who's not proved his worth is Naby Keita. Um Mm. So that is mm. such a good hit rate, and especially for the money they've signed. When you compare it to other top six clubs, it's just it's brilliant it, business. It is. It is, I think it is good business, yeah. but I do feel I do think we do need to still speak about that, obviously, because he was he was theirs. He was he was their player. He was going to go there. Definitely going to go there all summer. They were just being scruffer, well scrubbers about the fee, and obviously mm. they they go and pay seven million less for Jota. When you get Werner and Jim, don't get me wrong, it's an impressive hit rate with the players that they've got in, but that's it. Like you do have think, to speak about yeah. that as well. I think I think I think there's a slight difference though between Jota and Werner. I think I don't think Werner would have come in and accepted the squad rolling out of the team like Jota would have. And obviously we, we do have to mention that Hoover went the other way to Wolves. So that does knock. Although it wasn't necessarily, you know, officially a swap deal. I think they did get 15, 16 million for Hoover. So if you take that off the 40 odd they spent, it brings it down to, you know, in essence, a 30 odd million pound deal for Jota. Um, and yeah, really smart signing. But um, Klopp is very much a system manager. Um, and, you know, when you pick players for your system and you tell them the role and you train them in that role, nine times out of 10, they will be a hit. Whereas, you know, the managers like maybe a Guardiola who buys players and gives them more of a free roam, uh, they can be misses. Um, so I do, I do think there is a link to Klopp's, you know, systemic, you know, ways of playing well, football. Well, at least, at least he, he was talking about um, how quickly he's got off got off the mark. And he said he knew that because of the way Wolves played, he just knew he'd fit right in and he could yeah. just put him right in because usually a player would take time, like they have done at City. Um so obviously, yeah, he's a system manager. Maybe he looked at Werner and the way Red Bull played football and thought yeah. he, he might. Did you always still out maybe on him at Liverpool? Although he's yeah. a wonderful player, but there's got to, yeah, there's got to be more in it for Liverpool, and they just keep getting you know lucky with these signings or whatever. I think that you know it is definitely linked to how good a manager Klopp is and how well he trains these players into the different systems and, you know, he drills how he wants them to, to play into them uh, really early on, like we say, with Jota hitting the ground uh, so quickly. Yeah, it's the same though, isn't it? Obviously, Liverpool play very... They play wingers, but they are forwards, really, Salah and Mane. They are basically playing up front with Bobby and that's the same with Wolves. Inside forwards, obviously, in a 3-4-3, it's literally copy and paste for Jota in it and... I'm not having a dig at Liverpool or their business. Their, their business, as Jim stated, has been sublime. And Naby is not a shit player either. That's the thing. He's just not Vinaldum, Fabinho, or whoever else gets in there. It's just un- he's just unlucky. Thiago, sorry, he's just a victim of circumstance because obviously he's not shit. But Liverpool, the, the thing at the moment with them is if they can keep picking up points, chopping and changing their 11, obviously with injuries and stuff. That is the sign of champions. And don't get me wrong, that that pains me to say that. Yeah, well, they've won every single game since um, Van Dijk picked up that injury at Everton. Yeah, and we've not even spoke about Fabinho. Obviously, they've lost him in between pods that we've done. He picked up an injury midweek in the Champions League. I'm not sure yeah. how, much, how long he's going to be out for, but I know that he's been replaced by uh, Everton's Allen in the Brazil squad. So... I'm not. I'm not yeah. sure how long they're going to be without with him. But the lad who played non-league last year uh, did quite well at the weekend. Is it Will- Williams? Not Williams. Um, Phillips. Uh, Phillips. Yeah. Phillips. That's yeah, the one. Yeah. yeah. Well, it'll be, it'll be a, a big game next weekend when it's Liverpool City. I think. I think City have to win it more than Liverpool. Though. Um, Definitely. If, if Liverpool win it, that's. It's going to be just, a bit like it, they're going to be their favourites again. I think. Yeah. yeah, I just can't see City not winning that, especially with their frailties at the back. Yeah, but we've already spoken about City's uh, goal threat or lack of at the moment, so it'll be an interesting game. It probably won't be the City-Liverpool game that we've been used to over the last few years, maybe a little bit more cautious and a little bit more tactical. Welcome back. That's the way the Cookie Crumbles listeners had a little break there for you while our Zoom sorted itself out, you know, because we're scrubbers and don't pay for that all the time so one of them but also speaking of scrubbers Stan United lost again talk us through that <laughs> we did yeah yeah um, three losses in the league now this season um, yeah weird I don't really know how to explain it um, 
obviously since that Spurs six one, the the last run of five results have been pretty positive. But obviously coming off the back of a loss, uh, it doesn't feel too good. Um, and obviously Solskjaer being one of the only managers in football that's judged game by game, he's now shit again after Wednesday. Um, so yeah, I mean after the Spurs game, obviously we beat Newcastle, we we beat PSG quite comfortably. We drew nil nil with Chelsea in a very cautious affair, and then you know come, we we beat. Leipzig 5-0 midweek and then we play Arsenal again and look very cautious uh, or maybe not cautious but at least sloppy just like we did the week before against Chelsea so it's one step forward two steps back at the moment for United and it's kind of been that way for the last year or so we did have a we had a couple of consistent periods under Solskjaer when he first came in we won a decent amount and obviously in that run from the season uh, ending early and then obviously projects restart we we had a pretty consistent run of wins. Uh, but apart from that, you know, you don't really know which United are going to turn up. We can beat City one week and then play, you know, Palace at home and get beat. Um, so it, it's, it's weird. To, you can't really put your finger on it because, I mean, that starting eleven, I thought if I could have picked one, it pretty much would have been that one. So no qualms with that. Um, so it must be a mentality thing. I don't really know. Uh, unless maybe they prefer playing in the Champions League than the Premier League. But then again, I don't really see how that makes a difference um, because, you know, football's football. I don't see how the tournaments would, would make that much of a difference that you're playing in. So it's difficult to put a finger on it. Maybe, I mean, I've said it the whole time that Solskjaer is at United to do uh, a particular job uh, and that is, you know, resetting the culture and trying to sort the squad out. And the squad is pretty much there. That I think we're maybe three or four players short from having a squad that could challenge with the right manager um but um yeah, yeah. I, I i watched united on wednesday i don't know what i was doing my life watching united on a wednesday night but uh, they was excellent i mean like it was actually enjoyable to watch them against leipzig when they flashed them five no the cat it was perfect counter-attacking system and it worked perfectly and then you play arsenal and it's just like the complete opposite they've ever rolled the dice team at the minute and Lou, before you was talking about Solskjaer being a reactive manager, um, maybe you want to touch on that a bit more. Is that is that the problem? Is it that is the diamond works at Leipzig and he's thought, oh, well, that'll work again now? Yeah, I think that's just the thought process, obviously. with the it, it doesn't help. Let's just start off with it. It doesn't help that one week he's shit and one week he's the messiah. Let's, let's just say that to start. It needs to just be held accountable realistically where Man United are at and they're not in a title race at this moment in time but the diamond looked good I watched the highlights I didn't watch the whole United game United looked really good obviously Rashford coming off the bench scoring a hat-trick in the week and it suits the players they have obviously gets Pogba in that in that role where he's really good for Juve and obviously like Jim said counter-attack FC Man United that probably the best counter-attack inside in the league given the sheer speed they've got up front yeah, but, well, but when I when yeah. I watched them against Leipzig, and I know we talk about Solskjaer's tactics and getting them wrong, and I watched that diamond diamond messaging Stan saying that this could this could be the thing now for United. That that looked like to me, I, the fan of the five backs got him some good points and good results in big games. Um, but the diamond just seemed a bit better to me. It seemed a bit more fluid and it worked. But then, so I would have probably done the same as Solskjaer. I'm not a football manager, obviously, but. It just seemed like the right thing to do. Like if he went away from that diamond and lost against Arsenal, we'd have yeah. been giving him stick for not putting the diamond in. Yeah, because yeah, you obviously back the the same one that obviously got you the result in the week, don't you, Stan? Yeah, obviously. Yeah, it's difficult. That's what I mean. You can't really put your finger on it, but you know, it doesn't help that he is judged on a game by game basis. I, don't, I mean, it, I not healthy it's not that. I suppose it's part of the job, but I mean, United fans do it, but I think rival fans do it. I think the media do it. After Wednesday, there were people saying, oh, maybe he is the guy, you know, maybe it isn't that bad. And, you know, the papers today are saying he's on the brink of being sacked. But I think after the Spurs performance, you know, the five games, a lot of people were saying that these would be the five games that would, you know, put Ollie's head officially on the chopping block. And we won three of them, drawn one and lost one. So really, if you're judging it in a proper way or a way that you should judge football and, you know, how teams are progressive, one loss out of those fixtures is, you know, you would have taken that after the Spurs 6-1. So you need to be real, realistic about it. But like I said, uh, Ollie had a particular project um, and maybe he's hitting, you know, maybe he's hit his ceiling. 
Yeah, um, and, the pro- yeah. and the problem there for Solskjaer, maybe it's a bit unlucky that his performances have come in the Champions League because ultimately I think you're not Champions League contenders, let's let's face it, really. You're not an elite side anymore, but the Premier League results haven't been good. Nice at 15th, and that's what I think at the end of the season Solskjaer will be judged on. So it's unfortunate yeah. that his best two games in that tough period have come away like in tough Champions League games. Yeah, I mean, we started the season slow last year. I mean, he mentioned the other day that we didn't get our third league win of the season till our 10th game of last season. And we still have, you know, we're on our sixth game now and we're still on two. And we ended up finishing third and getting to three semi-finals. And I've made, I think there's only very few managers in world football that probably would have bettered that. So in terms of, you know, yeah, we had, we had a slow start last season. So obviously it's a long season. I don't know what will happen at, at the end of this one. Um, but I think he will be judged. And like I say, maybe he has reached his ceiling, maybe he hasn't. He might end up, you know, because nobody expected United to finish third last season. Let's be honest, at the start of the season and even in January after that Burnley loss at home, I remember that his head was on the chopping block again. Uh, so, you know, we did well to turn it around and I think he will be judged maybe. I've seen a few people saying he's hit his ceiling and this might be his last season, but I do think he'll be allowed to see it out nonetheless. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, just last thing on United, I I personally, from an outsider looking in, I don't think he's the guy to take United to the next level. I just don't no. think. I just don't think that one he's a good enough coach yet. He may he may still go on to have a obviously a great managerial career, but I just think United need a Pochettino, someone who who he's, can yeah. take them to that next level. Obviously, did so well with Tottenham, not spending that much money give him a bit of a checkbook here at United because obviously we make jokes about they are penny pickers but obviously in the past they have spent big money and that's the only way United are going to get to this yeah. next level at this moment I mean, in time just because yeah. of the, the club top to bottom but we can speak about United all day like because yeah. I mean, yeah on that on that note as well I mean I've said it a few times that Ollie might not be the guy but I think Ollie was the guy at the moment when we needed him and people might laugh at that that you know we got Solskjaer and obviously coming from Molder but I do think he was the right guy at the right time in that moment. And I do think we will, United fans, hopefully, if, if it goes right, we'll look back at what Solskjaer did and see it as quite a very important part of, you know, our development as a club, hopefully back to a team that's challenging for titles again when he leaves. And, you know, we get we get in that manager that can take us to the next level if it's not Solskjaer. Stan, if Pochettino's available tomorrow, would you take him over Solskjaer? No. No, I don't think Pochettino. I don't think Pochettino does any better with this current United side without having to buy somebody next summer. So I don't see the point in bringing anybody in in the middle of this season. Like I said, judge it at the end of the season. I do. I do think he will, and he should be given the summer. Uh, uh, sorry, the whole season. Then next summer we'll we'll reassess. But I don't think uh, if Pochettino came in tomorrow, we're not going to go and win the league or the Champions League. We probably won't under Ali. So we'll probably still challenge for top four. So I don't think it would be worth changing it no not until the summer and like I say we'll reassess and see where we're at and maybe Ollie has hit his ceiling and it's time for the next part of the project but only time will tell Welcome back listeners it is time for the interactive section of the podcast it is of course Who Am I this week and I'm hosting this week so Jim and Stan at the ready for player number one I was born on the 11th of May, 1989, making me 31 years old. I'll do the maths for you, lads. I like how you've done the maths for us. Yeah, thank you. 31. 31. It can be Uh, no other than... No shame in losing this one, lads. (laughs) uh, Felipe Luis. It's not. (laughs) Um, God Ram Mustafi. It's not. I'm afraid it's not. <laughs> I wish I could say excellent players. <laughs> I came through the famous La Masia Academy in Barcelona. Busquets. It's not. 31. Busquets. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, bet, I bet he's about 30, between 31 and 34. Not bad, Jim. Got it, it's got to be. Um, it's got to be. Ibrahim Afalai. <laughs> I mean, it's a very random one from Stan, but it's not him. <laughs> it's not him. Q, Q. Clue number three. I've had spells in Spain, the top tiers in England, so the top two tiers, Championship Prem, Turkey, and America. Bojan. So repeat, 
it's not Bojan, but just repeat that question for anyone who missed it. I've had spells in Spain, the Championship, the Premier League, Turkey, and America. Um, La Masia. I don't know. I don't know if I know he played in two of the. I'm gonna guess Mark Munyasa. Oh, very nice, but it's not. I mean, I d- didn't he play for Stoke at one point? Yeah, I don't know yeah. if he got relegated with him. I, I don't know. Oh, well, let's hope you didn't, Mark. I won gold at the 2012 Olympic Games. Ooh. Oh, I forgot he won. Fuck, didn't we? Didn't we? Oh, um, Dos Santos. Hey, Giovanni Dos Santos. Yeah. Clue number five was I have 107 caps for Mexico, scoring just 17 goals, given the fact that I play as a striker. Who did he play for in the championship? Ipswich on loan from Tottenham. Wow. There we go. Can't that so there's one. A blast from the past. Giovanni Dos Santos. That's funny that actually, because another shout out to Jay. We were on about the uh, 2012 Olympics the other day, weren't we, Jim? And Jay told yeah. us it was And, and Cook. I made history. He did. Yeah, we, 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 we were playing Who Am I in the group chat and Stan gave the date of birth and I guessed it was Jermaine Defoe and I was right. Unbelievable. <laughs> I just put I was born in 1982 or something and he said Jermaine Defoe and it was right. So there we go. Mad respect. Anyway. <laughs> did you like that one, Giovanni De Santos? Well, I forgot one. you guessed it. He was at Barca, yeah. yeah, was wasn't he? Only 31 currently, Stan. Recently signed for Club America. Really? Back in Mexico that Yeah. So Stan got two points for that one, getting Giovanni De Santos on question number four. Sorry, clue number four. But player number two, time for you to get back on the board now, Jim, and everyone listening at home. If you didn't get Giovanni De Santos, you'll never get this one. I was born on the 27th of August, 1985, making me 35 years old. I love, I love how you're doing You've the maths. You've done the maths again. Um, so nice. Well, I'm prepared, lads. I'm prepared. Uh, 35. 35. Who's 35? Oh, oh that's easy. Uh, Borgia Valero. It's not Borgia Valero. <laughs> Fernandinho. It's not Fernandinho, but I bet they go to the same barbers. <laughs> <laughs> Question number two. (laughs) (laughs) Question number two. I came through the academy at my boyhood club, Hijuk Split. Hmm. Hmm. Mandzukic. Oh. It's a good guess, but it's not Mario Mandzukic. I like that, though. 35. Because he is 34, Mandzukic, I did see the other day, Jim. So you are very close. That's close. That's very close. Hajuk split, 35. Oh. I think this next Dario Serna. It's not Dario Serna, but I wish it was. I think this next clue may give it away. I've played in China, Belgium, Croatia, Austria, England, and Scotland. I wish I could say that I gave it away, but it didn't. <laughs> I look at how face is it didn't. Say it, say it again. Say it again. Say it again. Yeah, go on. Okay. I've played in China, Belgium, Croatia, Austria, England, and Scotland. What the fuck? <laughs> Scotland? It's not I a veteran call, is it? It's not, but I, I love he the theme that Jim's going with. Has been Croats. I like Jim's theme. Hmm. I do love hmm. a Croat. Did he play for Croatia, though, Jim? Is it a trick question? Because it was, it was very messy Yugoslavia back in those days, Jim. Exactly. <laughs> and he was definitely born, and he was definitely born in Yugoslavia. He was that old. So he was born... right in front of me. He played in split. Uh, 35, Germany. Uh, me. I can't think of anyone. Uh, Not Germany. Fran- Scotland, China, Belgium, England, Croatia, Austria. Oh, Nico Krancha. <sighs> no. Very good guess, though. Fair play if it was. Oh, okay. How the fuck have we not got that? Definitely. There's only two clubs he could have played for in that godforsaken town. I played 36 times for Croatia, scoring just six goals. That doesn't help. We were guessing Croats anyway. (laughs) (laughs) At least I was right on the right lines. Oh, you're being silly, AUs. Scotland. All right, Cook. So we obviously only played for Aberdeen and Motherwell, the two biggest teams in Scotland. 
the two big heavy hitters up there. I'll tell you what, um, I'll give you an I'll give you an extra clue. I'll give you an extra clue. All right, this is unprecedented, but we need Yelovich. It. It's Yelovich. Well done. Yeah. See what I mean? You were being silly. You were being silly yeah. beggars. Yeah. I just nearly and the final cl- the final clue, which I think is the best clue, is mobsters ordered a hit on my shady uncle who shares the same name as me, rowing over my multi-million pound earnings. The plot was smashed when detectives arrested the hitman trying to kill him. The assassin turned in... <laughs> the assassin... <laughs> this is a Netflix show? Listen, listen. The assassin turned in the mod chief in a bid to walk free of all charges. There we go. Deserve better. But yeah, but it did deserve better. But yes, that is it for Who Am I This Week? Answers Giovanni De Santos and Nikita Yelovich, two what? scholars of the game. What a front two. So, last subject on the cookie pod this week. We hate to bring it down, but we're going to end it with a bit of a somber note before we do the outros. Um, just something that I think needs addressing. So, Manchester City ex-academy player Jeremy Whiston passed away the other day, aged 18. Unfortunately, he took his own life due to being released from Manchester City. I believe he was over there at their academy for over 10 years. And it just poses the question, Jim and Stan, should there be an aftercare system put in place for football because for these lads who through school, I think it was everyone in this podcast dream at one point or another to be a footballer. And when you come to that reality that it's not going to happen, it can hit people obviously in all in different ways. So do you think there should be an aftercare system put in place for footballers that don't make it just because mental health is a big subject at the moment. And obviously people speaking very openly, sorry, people speaking very openly about it. So yeah, do you think there should be an aftercare system put in place? Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Like you said, um, it's everyone's dream, every boy's dream, anyway. Um, when you're a kid, and that's what they're sold, aren't they? Um, eventually, by these big clubs uh, who stop off so many players just to try and get an edge on everybody else. And when you sold the dream, and then at such a young age, you're told it's just not going to happen. I mean, they're not old enough to deal with it, and they put so much into it. The families and paying for all what needs to go into it, um, all the equipment. Um, almost to get nothing out of it, it can end really badly. And if you if you can't deal with that mentally, we can see like the tragic things that can happen, that has happened. And I mean, I, I didn't even realise until after reading about this story that there wasn't an aftercare system put in place. Yeah. So so yeah, that, that was a shock to me. So, so I'd say definitely, I don't know what it would involve exactly, but... It's evident that it's needed, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's with the amount of money in the Premier League in particular, and you know throughout the FL and and the the funding that the FA can access it is it is ridiculous that there isn't anything available for you know these lads that can get scouted from as young as six and seven, like you've said, and maybe be at a club for a decade, you know, the majority of the life in, in a way, and then they can just get dropped when they're sixteen, seventeen. Uh, you know, it must be really hard for them to say. I mean, there's, there's lads who go on trial at places for a year and then come back. And, you know, you can see it's affected them and things like that. So, you know, God knows what it's like for the lads who have grown up at these clubs and then they get let go with, you know, assuming that they're going to make it all the way. And then at the last minute, they fall at the final hurdle before they get the senior contracts or whatever. So, yeah, it's not good that there isn't anything there for, for the lads. No, it's not good. And obviously, I hate to be that guy, but as someone who's been for trials at clubs and actually seeing how cutthroat it is because they, they it's as simple as unless you're under contract, they, they don't care. It's, it's like that. Like Stan said, it's, it's like a number. Jim was saying it as well, like stockpile, stockpiling talent. But the fact that there isn't an aftercare system in place at this moment in time, is just ridiculous. The fact that we're in 2020 and it's supposed to be mainstream that we can talk about this sort of stuff. And there's nowhere for literally kids who, like you said, are sold the dream. To, to go and be this icon that they see on telly, to be the next Mbappe or Ronaldo, Messi, whatever. And this lad was actually diagnosed with depression. He got depression and didn't tell anybody, and which is obviously the worst thing you can do. And we're, we, we don't usually speak on stuff about this on the podcast, but we thought, given obviously the seriousness of what it is and the fact that we didn't know there was an aftercare system at all, that we do need to speak about it. And if one person can hear this and think as a result of this lad taking his own life, unfortunately, so I'm going to speak out then 
that's the main thing. Obviously, people have talked to Twitter about it. I know Mason Greenwood dedicated his goal in the week to to Jeremy Whiston. And obviously, Reese James, I've just read a tweet here now. This breaks my heart. 17-year-old has tragically passed away, taking his own life. If you're ever struggling, depressed, or feeling down, please talk to someone. And then there's a load of phone numbers on there. So get over to Reese James's Twitter account if you are suffering with depression or any mental health issues because yeah, there are a load of phone numbers there. And Cole Palmer, the City um, youngster who came on against Marseille in the Champions League, dedicated his performance because he obviously played with him at the academy. And, and what I would say too is it's not just the aftercare. I would say that needs to be brought in. I think something needs to be brought in where these teenagers aren't just giving everything up. Obviously, like that's that's the goal and that's the dream to become a professional footballer. But if you give your entire life to it and it can fail, you can get an injury and it can fail. You don't matter how good you are, you've got to have something there in, the, in backup. It's just. <clears throat> they've got a bit that I've helped from somewhere because at that age you don't realise like I would have never thought something like that if I was that age and like good at football but I know in America obviously they go through the college system and they make them get the grades and if you don't get the grades then they're not going to play for the team yeah, so even yeah. if they're not good enough to make a professional in the NFL or the NBA whatever it is they've at least got something to fall back on and it's just like by this lad I don't know this situation is personal one but it could have been yeah nothing to fall back on and that's what's driven him to yeah. Yeah, I, know I, mean, for a fact, I was going to say, Stan, I know for a fact a lot of teams in the academy, they do that up to like GCSE and college level. But obviously yeah, yeah. in, in yeah. the professional game, as soon as you turn 16, you're a man in football's eyes. So yeah. they almost say there's no need for this now because you're here. They do, yeah. I mean, yeah, they, obviously they go to, they still go to school, obviously. But <clears throat> let's be honest, like Jim said, when you're that age, you don't think things like that can happen. In a way, you know, you feel invincible. And if you're a 15, 16 year old lad at any club, but especially, you know, a city or, you know, one of these these top clubs in, in, in the country, um, let's be honest, you're going to do as, as little as you can to get through high school. Your, your main focus is going to be on that football. So if you're focusing, like I say, from the ages of sixes and sevens, uh, the competitiveness all the way through that fighting every single week, because knowing that you can get dropped at any moment, that's how cutthroat it is. Um, you just your sole focus is going to be on the football, and like I say, to get dropped at 16, 17, it's it must be heartbreaking for these lads who, who have dedicated you know the life to it. And uh, yeah, there's just no excuse for it really that there isn't anything in, in there because the money's there. Like you say, there's been a big focus on mental health, and not only just mental health, but mental health of men and, and of young men because we know how high the suicide rates are for you know lads of our age because we do find it difficult to speak out. Um, yeah, it's, it's just shocking that there isn't anything there. Like you say, finding out from this that there isn't anything there and, and you know, the Premier League and the FA and, you know, everybody, you know, in, involved in football needs to come together and, and provide some sort of, you know, aftercare, counselling, whatever you want to call it, after, after leaving football. Yeah, definitely. And just to touch on it quickly before we go, I don't know if you guys saw it, but Ben Chilwell did an interview the other day where he was quite honest about his mental health during the first lockdown where he was in and out of the Leicester team and it never really happened to him in, during his life. And he actually rung one of the uh, the depression hotline numbers and spoke to a counsellor. So like I said, there's there's no shame in picking up the no. phone because if Ben Chilwell can do it, a professional footballer playing with Chelsea, then you can do it as well. But have you got anything to add just before I do the outros? If you have, speak, honestly. Just, just yeah, obviously to speak out, a number of a number of players have come out. I mean, Maguire was very open in, in you know, what he dealt with in the summer. Uh, Danny Rose, we know, has been very open with his mental health and things like that, and obviously Chilwell, and, and you know, there, there are many others as well. So, you know, just speak out, like you say, those numbers are available uh, because we know that a lot of the lads listening to this are of, of a similar age to us and, you know, the mental health and, and the suicide rates of our age are alarmingly high. So if you need to talk, then, you know, we hope you know where to talk so if not we will put you know a list of numbers on uh, on our instagram so go and take a look at that yeah we'll definitely get some numbers out on all our social platforms but where do we find these numbers we don't know where to follow you ah this is where i'm gonna tell you at cookie podcast one we are available on twitter and instagram at cookie podcast followed by the number one also we're on youtube give us a follow on there jim has been kindly enough Sorry, Jim has been kind enough to make some little clips for us on YouTube. So if you don't have time to listen to the whole thing and you just want a little snippet of the pod, head over to our YouTube channel. Just search in. That's the way the cookie crumbles or TTWTCC podcast. It should come up there. 
usual spiel available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast. I've been your host, Cook, Jim and Stan as well, and that's the way the cookie crumbles. See you then.